0: We are in the middle of chapter 41 and it's been an incredible journey and we got up to this point where we were having this intention to surrender our soul to Hashem in Torah study and in prayer and when are we having this intention? We're having this intention right before we start actually prayers start in that way where we can have this intention Prayer starts in a way where we say, my God, the soul that you have placed within me is pure. You created it. You have formed it. You have blown it into me. And you are destined to take it from me. And the reason why we say this is to remind us of the soul's preoccupation with Torah. And it is a perfect way to come close to Hashem. That's how the soul comes close to Hashem. Before it was here, that's what it does. After it was here, that's what it does. And now too, we're giving it a God-aided experience by totally surrendering our soul to Hashem in Torah and in prayer. And the proper time to have this intention is before prayer and before a Torah study. And the reason why we do it beforehand is because we can't possibly think of what we're learning if we're thinking about Hashem at the same time. So the intention is to be established before studying. And now the altar is going to bring precedence for this from Halacha that there's times that you have to have intention, and the proper time to have intention is before the act. So... I'm just going to read the English from before. So also in the course of the day, before one begins to study, such, a, such preparation at least is necessary, as is known that in the case of ben the essential preparation and intent for its own sake, where it is indispensable, is before the beginning of study. beget v'sefer shetzrichem la'akev. This is the same as in the case of writing a bill of divorce, or the scroll of the Torah, where for their own sake it is an indispensable requirement. You have to write them for their own sake, otherwise they're invalid. If you didn't write the Torah f- for the sake of the holiness of writing a Torah, it's invalid. If the bill of divorce was not written for the couple, it's invalid, you can't just make a copy machine and write, fill in some names. It had to be written with, these, with this in mind, otherwise it doesn't work, it's invalid. So these are two cases in halacha where you have to have lishma intention for their own sake. And should this intention be lacking, they are invalid. And it is sufficient if at the commencement of writing a Torah scroll, the scribe says, I'm now about to write for the sacred purpose of the scroll of the Torah, or in the case of a bill of divorce, for him and for her, and so on. So they don't have to keep saying it as they're writing. They have to, before they start writing, they say, I'm writing this for the sake of the holiness of the Sefer Torah. I'm writing this for the sake of him and her. And the al Torah says, he should say because Halacha actually says that the person should announce their intention in these instances. When it comes to the Torah, they should announce, I'm doing this for Torah. When it comes to the bill of divorce, they should say, I'm doing this for his name and for her name, for him and for her. When it comes to us davening or learning, it doesn't have to actually be enunciated, but it should. Why not? In fact, the Shla, the Holy... Rabbi Yashayi HaLevi Horowitz, he's known as the Shla because he wrote a book called the Shnei Luchas Habris, And the acronym for Shnei Luchas Habris is Shin Lamed Hei Shla, and he's called the Shla HaKadosh, the Holy Shla. And he writes that how nice would it be if umatayv kishihu Yimer. How all the better, if, when he opens the book, he would say, and then he announces the intentions that he has. He has a few different intentions, and one of them is L'Shaym Yechad but the point is he's saying, say. In our instance, you don't have to say it. It's nice if you say it, it makes it more real, it makes it more uh, relatable and physical, but if you just think in your mind, right now I'm studying Torah in order to surrender my soul to Hashem. Right now I'm davening in order to surrender my soul to Hashem. Just at the beginning is enough. And uh, an interesting question came up at class last night, because one of the women said, look, I'm going to be very honest with you. I have a very hard time focusing when I in. So is my davening valid? Like, when should I have this intention? She said, I'm distracted a lot. I think about a lot of other different things. Guess what? Even if you're gonna be distracted, still have this intention before davening. You know, davening sometimes because somebody's just regular morning routine, they brush their teeth, they eat their breakfast, they daven, wait, it's about Hashem, they forget that it's about Hashem. Even if you're gonna get distracted in the middle of davening, start off with the focus. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this for Hashem. And then during prayer, if you didn't have intentions, your prayer is still valid as long as you said the words. There's only three parts in davening where if you didn't focus on them, then it's invalid. One part is during the Tefillah of Ashrei, when you say the words, es yadecha, that you open up your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing, you have to think about what you're saying. The other place is when you say just that first verse, Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the third part is in the Amidah, just the first part until you say the blessing, Magain Avraham, the shield of Abraham, that you should have intentions when you say. The rest of davening, if you just read the words and you didn't have intentions, you still halakhically fulfilled your obligation. So let's say it's one of those days and you're so scattered and you're not going to have uh, proper intentions for most of your davening. Don't count on that. Feel like you're ganu. But if it turns out that you didn't, just remember, still start off with the intention. Don't let better be the enemy of good. If you could, all you can do is a little bit, just do a little bit. And remember to start off with, I am doing this in order to surrender my soul to Hashem. My soul is incarcerated in a physical body. It is so trapped. It's this opportunity to totally unite with Hashem. I'm surrendering to Hashem. I'm having mesirah snefesh in this prayer, surrendering my soul to Hashem. And this is done before prayer. (laughs) Similarly, it is sufficient for a benoni to have the intention for its own sake at the beginning of his study. Now the altar is going to clarify that if a person studies for a number of hours, it's not enough to have the intention once at the beginning of study. They should go back and reestablish their intention at the beginning of each hour. And when he studies for a number of consecutive hours, he should reflect on the preparedness referred to above. At least at hourly intervals, intervals. and the altar explains the reason why:. For in each hour, there is a different flow from the higher worlds to animate those who dwell here below, while the flow of vitality from on high of the previous hour returns to its source. So this is the reason to re-establish our intention. This world is the lowest of all the worlds. It comes into being through a series, myriads of series of contractions and diminishment of the divine light. It comes through Seder Heshtoshlis, the chain-like order of the descent of the worlds. In order for this world to come into being, the life force came from world to world in a series of many contractions to bring this world into being. So there's a very contracted divine life force that brings this world into being. It is the pulse of the universe. You know, everything is about inhale, exhale, dilation, contraction, the blood circulation. All of this is a reflection of the life energy that brings this world into creation. Every hour, the life energy changes. And this is a secret that we learned from our father, Abraham, in his book, Sefer Yetzirah. Beside Ratzai Vashayv Shevet Sefer Yetzirah, in accordance with the esoteric principle of advancing and retreating, which literally means running and returning, expounded in Sefer Yetzirah. As the divine life force animates the world, alternately advancing and retreating, it is first drawn down into this world and then it returns to its source in the higher spiritual world. Each hour then, the creative life force of the previous hour returns to its source. So new life energy comes down and the previous life energy from the previous hour goes back up. It's literally the heartbeat of the universe. Some level of energy comes down a new kind of energy goes up. In Kabbalah, we have these terms. Eilam, Shana, Nefesh. Eilam means world, which is space. Shana means year, which is time. And Nefesh means soul, which is consciousness. So there's space, time, and consciousness. Shana, which means year for times, actually is related to the word Shinoi which means change. This is the only world where we have time as we know it. What is the essence of time? It is change. The essence of time is change. In the higher worlds, how is that expressed? And that's the running and retreating of the divine energy that vivifies this world. There is a fascinating story of the Baal Shemtov where he wrote a letter to his brother-in-law, Rabbi Gershon Kitover, who lived in the land of Israel, admonishing him for the way he handled the misconduct of a certain Torah scholar. And Rabbi Ger-shin got the letter after the incident happened, but he was surprised because the letter was written before the incident happened. So he asked the Baal Tov, you wrote the letter before it happened? And he said, yes, don't you know that in the higher worlds, time progresses at a different rate. Itzamach Tzedek references this story in Mitzvah HaManas Aleikus, and he says that, like in the world of Gezira, fifteen years is just one moment of time. If you think about it, like you have thoughts in your head, the amount of time that it takes you to articulate the thoughts that you have is so much more time. So, at one glance, so much more is included than the progression of words to articulate and describe. This world is the lowest of worlds. So in one glance of the higher world, it takes 15 years to play out in this world. So the speed and duration of time is different in each world according to its level. But what's the essence of it? Where does this all happen from? From the interchange of divine energy that's happening. The hours change. And at every hour, new energy comes into this world, and the previous hour goes back up to where it, went, to where it came from. It doesn't just go back alone. <inaudible> Together with all the Torah and good deeds of those who dwell here below. So remember we talked about in chapter 39 that when we have proper intentions in studying Torah, or doing a mitzvah, or any act of holiness... That act of holiness rises up to the higher worlds. When does it rise up? At the end of each hour. So we had an intention. We're I'm doing this for the sake of Hashem. Why am I studying Torah? I'm studying Torah in order to surrender my soul to Hashem. Why am I praying? I'm praying in order to surrender my soul to Hashem. I established that intention, and that makes my Torah lishma. At the end of the hour, the Torah rises up again. So we have to reestablish our intention at the beginning of the new hour, in order to attach the intentions, lishma to our Torah study. Now the Alturava is going to talk about the divine energy that vivifies this world. And in order to understand this better, so in Sefer Yetzirah, which the altarab was just referencing, it says like this: Shte Avanim Shishabatim, Arba Arba Batim. Two stones build two houses. Three build six houses, four build twenty-four houses. What does that mean? A stone is a letter. A house is a word. With two letters you can build two houses. With Aleph and Bays, you can write of or ba. With three letters, you can build six houses. So with Aleph, Gimel, and, Be- with Aleph, Bez, and Gimel, you can have Agav, Bagav, Akaav. You just make the combinations. There will come out six different combinations. By the time you get to four letters, you have 24 different combinations. So now we're going to look at the names of Hashem that vivified this world and look at the combinations. The different kinds of combinations are called Tse So like you say, like for example, the name, Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. It can be written Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. It can be written Aleph, Nun, Dalet, Yud. And each of these names that we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about the name Yud key vav ke, and the name Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. where people don't want to pronounce it because we don't want to pronounce Hashem's name. People will say Adnai. So we're then talking about the name Havaya and the name Adnai. What are they? They're the way Hashem dresses Himself, as it were, the way Hashem clothes himself in different attributes and expresses himself in that way in the world. So the name Havaya, which is the four-letter name, yod Vavke, is as Hashem expresses himself through the attribute of mercy and kindness. The name Adnai is as Hashem dresses himself to express himself in justice. So with this in mind, let's approach the words of the Alta Rebbe. <laughs> For in each of the 12 hours of the day, there rules one of the 12 combinations of the letters that form the four-letter name of Hashem. So day is a time of kindness. And you can see that because the light is shining. It's, you have clarity. There's manifestation. Everything is revealed. That's day, kindness. Nighttime is a time of constriction. It's a time where everything is hidden. It's more confused. It's a time of concealment. That's the time where the name Adnai reigns. But say, Rufe Shem Adnai Laila Kaneda. While the combinations of the letters that comprise the divine name Aleph Dalad Nun Yud rule at night, as is known. So really, there's 24 hours in the day. And we're saying, we said with four stones, you can build... 24 houses. So if there's 24 hours in the day, but we're talking about two different names of Hashem, then how does this match up? So some people want to say, well, with the name vav Vavkei, there's two letters Hey, so it's three letters, we'll build 12. But the truth is, the Rebbe says you can't say that, because the two He's in Hashem's name have a totally different divine energy. They, they represent something very different. The the energy in the higher letter, hey, is very different than the energy in the lower letter, hey, so they're not identical with each other. And then what are you gonna say about the name Adnai, which actually has four different letters? So the Rebbe says that while there are 24 combinations of each of these names, only 12 of them apply to time. In fact, Mishnas Hasidim says that there are 12 combinations of the name Adnai, which correspond to the 12 stitches in the hand tefillin. So you look at the box of tefillin, there's three stitches on each side. Those 12 altogether, are connected to 12 combinations of the name of Adnai. But there's 24. Yeah, but only 12 of them apply to Tzvillin. So same thing. Of the 24 possible combinations of each of these names, 12 of them apply to time. So 12 of combinations of the name Havaya reign during the day. 12 combinations of the name Adnai rule at night. The Midrash says something fascinating. You know, when Moshe Rabbeinu was on Harsinai for 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't experience night and day. So how did he know if it was night and day, when it was either night or day? And the Midrash says, he knew it was the daytime when he was learning the written Torah. And he knew it was the nighttime when he was learning the oral Torah. And the reason is because the written Torah, Torah Shebech corresponds to judgment. And because it corresponds to judgment, the reason why it corresponds to judgment is because it is manifested in this world of Asiyah, the lowest of the worlds. Which, which shows how great it is because it is manifested even in this lowest world as a difference as opposed to other levels of Torah, which we looked at earlier in Tanya. But at the same time, being a manifestation in the world of Asiya means that it, it's judgment. And because it is connected to judgment, the Arizal says you shouldn't study it at night because it's already a time of judgment. So why would you study Torah Shavakh at night? if it's a time of judgment. You study Torah Shabbat during the day. This is a custom. It's not the law. And therefore, mm. scholars explain that if somebody is an ignoramus and all they know how to study is the written Torah, they should not abstain from studying Torah at night. Well, you must be an ignoramus. No, because... they class is all the time at night. Yeah, but they're not in the written Torah. Strictly written Torah means Tanakh. Yeah. When we say written Torah, we mean Tanakh. So Torah, Nevi'im, Kesuvim. For example, if you are studying Chumash with Rashi, that's already considered oral Torah. So you can study it at night. Like some people try to study their Chitas, the Chumash of the Chitas of that day during the day, because it's better to study Chumash during the day. If they're studying it with Rashi, then it's fine. They're studying oral Torah. The only thing is, sometimes there will be a verse that Rashi doesn't expound on. So what are you going to do? So you should try to read commentary from somebody else besides Rashi on that verse. Is this a known thing? I never heard of this before. Is this a Hasidic thing? No, it's I not mean, a Hasidic thing. Yeah. <laughs> the Birkei Yeisef speaks about it. The Mishnah Brewer speaks about it. Anishchai speaks about it. Oh. It's 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 people are careful not to say Tehillim at night for that reason. Oh my gosh, we what have, have to the do yeah, all so the time. time. I don't understand. So two things I want to no, say no, about no, the, no, yes, two things I want to say about Tehillim at night. First of all. If there's a minion saying to 10 people together saying to Hellam, then people say that it doesn't apply. It's only somebody saying to him by themselves. So you're saying it to Hellam group. Second of all, if, do you guys have 10? Maybe not. Oh, sometimes Two. it's more, but sometimes yeah. it's Some, not. Yeah. Second of all, if you're praying I mean, for somebody who needs a refua, correct. then people pray even at night. So they say to Hellam even at night. But generally speaking, the written Torah means Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Kesuvim, and it's just the straight up words without any commentary. Once you read commentary, then it's already the oral Torah. It should not prevent you from doing the good things that you're already doing. Um, It's a custom. It's not the law. It's important to know, like if you can schedule things, do things differently because you'll study your Chumash during the day instead of the night. Go ahead. If you can't, don't skip your (laughs) Chumash. According to Chabad custom, it's only till Chatzais. Some people want to say it's until daybreak, but it's according to Chabad custom, it's just until Chatzais, midnight. And um, there are times that people say Tehillim even during the night at special times such as Aserah Simei Teshuvah, Hashanah Rabbah, Rosh Hashanah. So people say Friday night is a different, and you can do Tanakh and Tehillim Friday night, that judgment thing doesn't apply on Friday night, which is Shabbos. So why are we discussing all this? We're discussing all of this to say that Moshe Rabbeinu knew if it was day or night by what Hashem was teaching him. When it was the daytime, Hashem was teaching him Torah Shebech Sav, which is connected to judgment. And when it was the nighttime, he was teaching him the oral Torah, which is connected to mercy and kindness. Now, there's an amazing story of the Alter Rebbe. When he was imprisoned, they wanted to test him. So they put him in a cell with no windows. And after a few days, they came inside and they said, hey, what are you doing up so late at like three o'clock in the morning? And he said, it is exactly five minutes past two in the afternoon. And they said, how do you know? And he said, because during each hour of the day, a different name of Hashem's, a different combination of Hashem's name radiates. And so I know what time it is by knowing the combinations of Hashem's name. So this is the energy that brings this world into existence. Our world comes into existence, starting from the highest of worlds all the way down to here to the lowest of worlds. Each hour is sustained, brought into existence, vivified by one of the combinations of Hashem's name. At the end of the hour, that divine energy rises up back to its source. It brings together with it all the Torah and good deeds that were done in that hour. And then new energy comes back. Isn't that amazing? So if we're studying... kind from, of like evaporation of the water, right? It yeah. Keeps going back and forth. It's, it's the heartbeat of the universe. Mm-hmm. The Altarava talks about it in Igera Sakhaidish about the, the blood circulation that goes back, goes you know, circulates among all the limbs and then comes back, back to the heart. Mm-hmm. Back and forth, inhale, exhale, advancing, mm-hmm. retreating, that's what it is. Ratsay Vashaiv. advancing and retreating, running and returning. Dilating and contracting. It's it's just think about the human body. So much is like that. The lungs and the heart. It's it's this heartbeat. The heartbeat of the universe. This one of the ideas that fascinate me. Uh, we we studied earlier in Tanya about we were screaming it. I'm sure you remember this, Jill. We were screaming at our animal soul, and we were saying, "How dare you block from me?" seeing the truth that everybody could see with physical vision, the divine. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? I don't know what this means. What does that mean? You can see Hashem with your physical eyes. And so at that point, I took like a two-week break from class. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to do some studying. And one of the things... The thing that I studied, the ideas that I studied then were from Mitzvah HaAmanes Aleikus, which is written by the third Chabad Rebbe, the grandson of the Alta Rebbe. It's in Derach Mitzvah Secha, where he explains the spirituality of different mitzvahs. It, it is remarkable, it is so fascinating. And he talks about that, yes, of course you can see Hashem. And he said, like this everybody knows they have a soul. Did you see your soul? You've never seen your soul, so how do you know you have a soul? You know you're not just a body. You know that there is something more to you. You're so aware of your soul. You know it. It's like you've seen it. When you look at someone else, you also see their soul. When they're talking to you and they're, you see them as a living being, you see their soul. Their body is literally expressing the soul. Are you seeing the spirituality of the soul with physical eyes? Well, I guess. When you see the body moving and you hear the person speaking and they're expressing themselves you see something of the soul. So do you actually see soul? No, you don't. But you're so certain of the soul that it's like you've seen it with your physical eyes. If we would take a moment to look at the universe, the power of vegetation, the movement of the stars and the galaxies, the sun, this earth spinning on its axis, sunrise and sunset, just look around and see like lizards jumping out and birds flying. You see energy in the universe. That's the same as looking at a body and seeing the soul. The Rambam, the guide for the perplexed, calls this world, calls the universe, Guf Gadol, a great body. It expresses its soul, the soul that's within it, which is Hashem. If we take a moment and see the movement in the universe, we see Hashem. We have to just become in tune to that. that, all this movement is an expression of its deepest in its inner essence, and that's Hashem. What it means to believe in Hashem is to realize that there's nothing else besides Him, and that takes a lot of training. It's one thing to know that there's Hashem. Anybody with brains in their head knows that there's Hashem. You know, people can deny it. It's possible in this world. That's what makes this world such a dark place, because people could go around and say, That's what Pare said. My river is mine and I created myself. Good for you. A lot of people say that. I'm a self-made man. <laughs> if you use a little bit of brains, you know that there's Hashem. What faith requires of us is to realize that not only is there Hashem, all there is is Hashem. And that takes a lot of study and practice and training. So back to where we are. We were talking about the different combinations of the name of Hashem that rule during the day and night. And that is why we reestablish our intention at the beginning of each hour, because with the new divine energy, we attach a new intention, lishma to our Torah study, so that when that divine energy rises up, it brings up the Torah study with it. Speaking of the form of service that was earlier deemed a surrender of the soul, the Altar Rebel will now go on to say... That it should be undertaken not for the sake of returning the soul to its original source, but only to cause Hashem pleasure. So we started to say like this. This intention that we're having is absolutely genuine. Every Jew wants to surrender their soul to Hashem. And the altar Rebbe gave us these intentions to have before we dive in, before we pray, before we study. Have this intention. I'm doing this as an experience of totally surrendering to Hashem. That comes from our natural love of Hashem. So we can think, why am I doing this? Because I have an incredible thirst to attach to Him. And al says, it's true. You do have an incredible thirst attached to Him. You're always running to Him and you want to attach to Him. But I want you to have this intention not for your own sake. I want you to have it for the sake of bringing Hashem pleasure. Now, all one's intent in the surrender of his soul to Hashem through Torah and prayer to elevate the spark of godliness therein in the soul back to his source, should be solely for the purpose of causing him gratification. True lishman means I'm doing this for Hashem. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this just to bring Hashem pleasure. Like the joy of a king when his only son returns to him after having been released from captivity or imprisonment, as has been explained earlier. In chapter 31, the altar of compared the soul's return to God through Torah and prayer to the return of a captive prince to his overjoyed father, the king. For a Jewish soul is Hashem's child, hence his great joy when it is reunited with him after its imprisonment within the body and animal soul. Accordingly, as a Jew prepares to study Torah and engage in prayer, his spiritual objective should be that this reunion come about for the sole purpose of bringing joy to the soul's father, the king, Hashem. So the author was bringing extreme examples. He's saying like this, the soul is imprisoned. It's imprisoned in a physical body. It experiences this diminished consciousness, it is constantly pulled into all this different stuff that the animal soul is pulling it into. It's in such a starry state. Who is the soul? The Torah says, Banim Atem Hashem you are children to Hashem, your God. Every single Jewish person is Hashem's child. And not only is he one of many children, he's actually Hashem's only child. Hashem conveys this message to Paro. He says, Yisrael, my son. My firstborn, Israel, means an only child, one. Each of us is Hashem's only child. The Baal Shem Tov said that each Jewish person is more precious to Hashem than an only child born to his parents at their old age. You think about it. You make it real to yourself. Each Jewish person, you think about yourself being Hashem's only child. Okay, so think about yourself being Hashem's only child. Our soul is Hashem's child. Where is the soul? The soul is in prison, in captivity. Being in captivity is different than being in exile. If someone is in exile, conceivably they can roam around and do some things that they want to do. If they're in captivity, they're very much stuck. They really don't have a say of what they're going to do. So we're talking about a king. We're talking about an only child and we're talking about captivity. We need to imagine the joy of the king when his only child is returned to him from captivity. That's the joy Hashem has when we surrender our soul to him in Torah and prayer. We're his only child. We're in captivity. He's the king. You know, when you have to pay damages for embarrassing someone, if you like, look at the laws of damages in the Rambam originating in the Talmud, there's different prices for different people. If somebody is of a high character, a noble person, and you embarrass him, you have to pay a lot more because his embarrassment costs a lot more. This is the king. The caliber of the king is enormous. This is his only child. His only child is in captivity. The pain is unbearable for the king, his only child. When we're studying Torah in a way of total surrender... When we're praying in a way of total surrender, our soul is returned to him from captivity. Can we imagine his joy? We bring him so much joy. Hashem is glowing. He's rejoicing. He's dancing that we've come back to him from our sorry state. And that has to be our intention. I'm doing this because it makes Hashem so happy. That's why I'm doing it. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing it because it makes Hashem so happy. You could say one second then we're back to the same old. We said that you can't have intentions that don't include yourself, right? That was the problem with having intentions just to unite Kuchabricha with his Shekhinah. We can't do that because we can't totally relinquish our sense of self. But this is different. We do have a sense of self over here. First of all, it's about our soul. He's getting excited that our soul is coming back to him. That's personal. There is a sense of self. And second of all, it's us who is bringing him pleasure. I'm the one who's making him happy. That feels good. That's not a total relinquish of self. There is some level of self involved. And this is entirely possible for each of us. However, the al explained earlier that in order to attain this degree of selfless love, one must have attained an extremely lofty degree of spirituality, a level possessed only by Tadikin. How then is this to be expected of every Jew? The al therefore goes on to explain that when the purpose of one's service is simply to restore his own soul to its source and not the souls of all Jews to their source, then this lofty degree of selfless love is not a prerequisite. The latent love of Hashem possessed by all Jews is sufficient to cause one to desire to bring him this manner of gratification. Vahine, Kavana. Now, this intent, solely to bring gratification to Hashem by returning one's own soul to Hashem, is genuinely and truly and completely sincere in every Jewish soul at all times, at every hour. By virtue of the natural love, which is a heritage bequeathed to us by our ancestors, every single Jewish person has this power. We all love Hashem. We all wanna surrender to Him. We all wanna make Him happy. This is not out of our league. It's not out of our realm. It is entirely possible and it's so real and authentic. So we finish this section of having this intention Before study, before prayer to surrender our soul to Hashem and then reestablishing our intention at the beginning of each hour because the divine energy is changing at that time and our previous needs go up with that divine energy. Why are we doing this? We're doing this only to bring Hashem pleasure. What kind of pleasure like, does he have? The joy, the gratification, the pleasure that the king has when his only child is returned to him from captivity. You can say, one second, out of my league, I can't do it. No, actually it's entirely possible for you. You could do it. Every Jew wants to bring Hashem pleasure just by virtue of his natural soul. Now we're going to come back to the beginning of the chapter. And we're gonna, the chapter started off by saying every single Jewish person must serve Hashem with fear. And on top of that, also with love. What kind of love? What kind of fear? Just the natural love and fear. You don't have to create anything new. You already have it. Just tap it. Tap into it and access it. But the author going to say like this. Yes, it's true. All you need is natural. But I want you to try for something more. Nevertheless, one should not be satisfied merely with this level of service. One needs to establish set periods for reflecting on the greatness of Hashem in order to attain intellectually generated fear and love. So yes, natural love is in the province of all of us. Intellectual love? Not necessarily. What is intellectual love? Intellectual love means that we have thought about Hashem to the point where we have created new emotions for him. We took the time to meditate on Hashem's greatness, on his vastness. We think about him, who he is in his essence, if we even could, beyond the universes. As he is, Unrelated to all of that, transcending that, being so overawed by his majesty, coming to this place where we have now generated, produced, given birth to new emotions of love and fear. We have to try to do that, even though that's not our default. Our best and easiest place to go is natural emotions. To truly have intellectual love and fear, we have to be on a higher level. We still have to try. And there is a reason for that. Why would we try? It doesn't really matter. Like, let's just have natural love and fear. That's good enough. With natural love and fear, we're good to go. We can do everything we need to do. But there's a difference. Natural love and fear, where does it stem from? It stems from our divine soul. We have this natural love and fear because we have a divine soul, and our divine soul loves Hashem. That's a very different frequency than our animal soul. So when our divine soul is feeling that love for Hashem, we only have one heart. So what is our heart feeling at the moment? Love for Hashem. What's happening to the animal soul at that time? It's being overpowered by an external force that's just shutting it down and putting it to sleep. Still the same animal, but it's being coerced. You can only have one love at a time, so you're loving Hashem at that moment. The animal soul is forced to put to sleep. It's like sleeping in the left part of the heart. It hasn't been changed. There's no effect or influence. It doesn't speak the same language as the divine soul in that way. What's the connection? I get it, you love Hashem, that's your source, but what about me? On the other hand, if we strive to have intellectual love for Hashem, we're talking to our animal soul. We're saying, hey, Hashem is so great. This is relevant to you. This applies to you. Think about how Hashem is in your everyday life. Think about the greatness of the universe. When we try to convince our animal soul, our everyday self, about the greatness of Hashem, this is not an external force acting upon our animal soul. This is an internal dominion, and it it achieves an internal transformation. True, if we're not a tzaddik, we're not going to have that ultimate transformation. But to some degree, we're going to weaken and influence our animal soul and that's very important because you know we can be in our spiritual moments we've just had some great learning we're in the middle of some wonderful davening and then um, your kid really acts out or somebody triggers you okay you're not davening and you're not learning it. how are you acting <laughs> it depends has your animal soul been changed now truthfully if you've had a good davening then you rein in on your animal soul even when you're not davening and even though your, your davening was just with the natural love. But for your animals, for your natural self, your everyday personality to be pervaded with love for Hashem so that it's changed, so that it understands that it's really all about Hashem, in its language, same frequency, we need intellectual love and fear. So it's worth it. It's important to establish fixed times, at least to try to have Intellectual love and fear. Try to produce it. Think about Hashem. Think about His greatness, and try to have influence on the animal soul and have some level of intellectual fear, mm-hmm. even though it seems beyond us. And the Alter says like this: With all of that, perhaps one may succeed in attaining such fear and love as has been stated previously. And when the has stated previously, he's referring back to chapter fourteen. Or the altar was talking about a Benoni who can't reach a very high level, but he should try. And the altar of says like this. Perhaps after all of this effort of his, a spirit from above will descend upon him and it will be granted him that the soul level of Ruach originating in the soul of some Tzadik will be impregnated in him. So maybe we're somebody of a very low soul. Remember we talked about some souls originate so low down in the spiritual chain that their capabilities are so limited. If a person tries hard enough, their soul might change because they might have the spirit of some tzaddik attached to their soul, and it will expand their capabilities. You know, people hear of dibuk, and that sounds very scary because that's taking on the consciousness of somebody else. So, this is very different. It's not taking on the consciousness of a tzaddik, it's taking on the capabilities of a tzaddik. So, a person who tries hard enough might be granted a gift from above. They have the same soul that they have, but it is impregnated with the spirit of a tzaddik who already completed his mission and now gives them incredible capabilities. This is like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we have to try. <laughs> You know, there was a story of a chassid, Lepler, who had experienced some higher level of capabilities. It wasn't with him all the time. Sometimes he had it and sometimes he did it. And when he would get this expanded consciousness, he would say, the chassid came. And he was literally feeling different. He acted different. He, his experiences were different. And then he would sense that it left. The capabilities left him. He'd say, the chassid left. So there is this idea of getting hopefully once it comes, it stays. (laughs) Getting this expanded consciousness just by trying hard enough, you know, we have to do what we have to do. And then maybe, maybe Hashem will give us this incredible gift. And Mazel Tov, we finished the chapter. It took us 10 classes, 10 classes to finish this chapter. Okay. So we're summarizing chapter 41. Fear of Hashem and acceptance of the heavenly yoke are the beginning of service and its core and root. And this must be the beginning of each and every person's service of Hashem. Even the service of do good has to be based upon fear of Hashem. Because in order for a person's Torah study and mitzvah performance to be considered service, avidah, it is a must that he has fear at least in his mind. However, when a person studies Torah and keeps the mitzvot only out of love for Hashem, without fear even in his mind, then this is not service. Because the person hasn't put aside their will at a deference to Hashem's will. And so it's categorically impossible to draw holiness down through Torah and mitzvot done in in this way without any fear. And even someone who doesn't feel fear in his mind, if he studies Torah and does the mitzvot out of acceptance of the heavenly yoke, he draws down holiness through his actions because service... And fear are two separate mitzvot, which are not contingent upon each other. So even without fear necessarily, but just acceptance of the heavenly yoke, a person does draw down holiness. Fear and service are two separate mitzvot. And further, truthfully, even a person who abstains from committing sin out of a shame in front of Hashem at the time that he thinks about him, it's considered that he too has fear of Hashem. The way to awaken fear of Hashem is through meditation on the fact that Hashem is the king over all of the worlds, lofty and exalted. And despite this, he chose to uniquely confer his kingship specifically upon the Jewish people and upon each and every Jewish person individually. Further, Hashem is literally standing over us, actually standing right in front of us. And he's searching my heart and my innards to see if I am serving him properly. We should also think about the fact that the light Of the infinite one is clothed within the torah and mitzvot and when a person studies torah and keeps the mitzvot he draws down the light of hashem upon the illumination of his divine soul which is clothed within his body the purpose of drawing down the divine light upon our soul is to bring us to a place of total surrender to godliness so that our soul becomes subsumed within its source and we completely lose our individual existence as we said without acceptance of the heavenly yoke and any fear at all, the Torah and mitzvot do not, draw, do not draw holiness down below. Along these lines, it is explained in the Tikkun Zohar that without fear and love, the Torah and mitzvot do not ascend above. Because just as a bird flies specifically with two wings, so too in order for the Torah and mitzvot to ascend above, love alone is not enough and there has to be fear as well. And since there is a need specifically for two wings, therefore serving Hashem with acceptance of the heavenly yoke and fear alone are not enough either. There has to be love as well. What kind of love does there have to be? The love we need to awaken is at the very least the natural love so that it should be felt in the mind. And a person's intention in Torah and mitzvot should be in order to cleave to Hashem. In addition to this, a person should engage in Torah and mitzvot out of the intention to attach the root of the souls of all all of Israel with the light of the Ain't Sof Hu, meaning to unite the light which surrounds all worlds with the light which fills all worlds. Because the source of the souls of all of Israel is within the breath of Hashem's mouth, which is the Shekhinah the light which fills all worlds. And the root of the mitzvah is within Hashem's will, which is the light which surrounds all worlds. And through Torah and mitzvot, we unify Kuchabrichu, Sovev, the light which surrounds all worlds, with his Shekhinah, Mamali, the light which fills all worlds, which is the source of the souls of all of Israel. And indeed, in order for a person to genuinely have the intention that he is studying Torah and doing the mitzvot in order to unite Kuchabrichu and his Shekhinah, a very high level of love for Hashem is required of him. That he should completely disregard his own existence, and he should only take Hashem's will into consideration, into consideration, and pay no attention to his own aspirations at all, even his spiritual ones. An ordinary Jew is not on this level. Nevertheless, we should accustom ourselves to have this intention, because this is not a false illusion. To some degree, we do indeed desire this, because by our very nature we desire to fulfill the will of Hashem, and Hashem's true desire is that there should be the unification of Kuchibrihu and His Shekhinah. A Jew by nature wants to surrender his soul to Hashem, and fulfilling Torah and mitzvot is this very idea of Mesirah's nefesh, surrendering the soul, because the soul doesn't think about the matters of the body, but instead becomes one with Hashem. The beginning of prayer has to be out of the intention of, surrender, of, of surrendering our soul to Hashem, and so too should we have this intention before starting to learn after prayer. And we shouldn't make do with this Kavanah Lishma. Only at the true beginning of study, but at the beginning of each and every hour, we need to go back and re-establish our intention. The intention to raise up the spark of our soul to the Eintzah Baruch Hu, to Hashem, through Torah study and through prayer, has to be not so as to quench our own thirst, but rather to bring gratification to Hashem, who gets tremendous pleasure when the spark of the soul returns to Him, like the king who is joyful at the return of his only son from captivity and imprisonment, and by nature of his soul, Each and every Jewish person truly wishes to give Hashem pleasure. And even though the main way of abandoning service is by awakening natural love and fear, nevertheless, we should establish fixed times to awaken intellectual love and fear as well. Opening up for question and discussion.